Well, if your Bibles are open, we're going to be talking about the danger of drifting or how to avoid drifting as we walk with the Lord. Uh, and so Hebrews chapter two, we're going to look at verses one through four. Before we go any further, let's take a moment and let's pray and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts for what it is he wants to say to us. Father, we are grateful to be in this place and to worship you. Lord, it is a privilege to worship you. In fact, your word tells us that you inhabit the praises of your people. And because of what Jesus has done, we have the privilege of, of not only knowing about you, but actually knowing you personally. And you ask us in your word to approach your throne with boldness, to, to understand that you are a loving father who wants to uh, not only provide for us, but also uh, just change us and strengthen us and, and be, really, Lord, be everything that we need for this life. And so we're excited for that. Lord, we know that when we go to your word, you also do a work in us to grow us and establish us. And so I pray that we would be prepared to hear what it is that your spirit wants to say to us this morning and that we would not only hear what you're saying to us, but we would also respond by ordering our life in faith according to what we know to be true. And so Lord, we just lift this time up to you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, it happened last week. I got one of those calls for my kids and I picked up the phone, and, and by the way, I got permission, and, I, and before I tell this story, I, I, told, I told her, I said, look, nobody's going to know it was you. We have three kids. They're not going to think it's the boys, or they might think it's the boys. So, and she said, okay, that's fine. You can tell the story. So I've got permission. So I get the call, and, and, and on the other end of the line, she says, dad, the car doesn't work anymore. And I, what do you mean the car doesn't work? She goes, it just stopped working. I'm like, well, 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 where are you? And she said, well, I'm at the entrance to our neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's, we live right at the entrance. So I said, all right, I'll come out. And so I walked out and I, and I walked and there's the car pulled off to the side and I walk up to the driver's side and, and I kind of look in and I was like, what happened? She's like, I don't know, it just stopped working. And I was like, okay. And I kind of looked inside and I said, well, it's in drive. And she's like, well, yeah, I can't start it. So we'll put it in neutral. You, you won't be able to start it unless you, and she, so she puts it in neutral and, and then as, as I go around to the other side of the car, I'm thinking to myself, what could happen? And then it dawned on me, I had an idea of, of what it is that she did because I remember doing something similar. And sure enough, as, as, I'm in the front of the, as I'm walking in the front of the car to get into the passenger side, I hear the car start up. And it seemed to be working perfectly. And I opened the door and I said to her, I said, you, you were curious as to what might happen if you turned the ignition off while you were driving, weren't you? And she looked at me all sheepishly and went, yes. I said, well, it doesn't work anymore, does it? <laughs> She's like, no, it's really hard to steer. I said, well, yeah, most cars in drive when the engine is running are hard to steer. And so we had a whole conversation about, about learning to appreciate the value of what you have, right? A working car on US-1 that gets you where you need to go in light of the temptation to satisfy your curiosity, because sometimes when you do that, you end up off in the ditch in something that doesn't work anymore, right? Well, if you understand that concept, you understand what it means to drift. The issue for us as believers and the potential to drift is really twofold. Number one, it's, it's, it's about forgetting the value of what we have in Christ or starting to lose sight of the awesomeness of all that we've been given. And at the same time, considering the possibility that maybe if we move in a different direction, we will find solutions for our problems. This church that this author is writing to is a group of Jewish believers. 
They've made a commitment to follow Christ and they've seen God do some pretty amazing things. But in the midst of that commitment, they're living among other Jewish men and women who don't share their excitement about Jesus and they're starting to pressure these believers to abandon their faith in Christ and return to Judaism. The pressure is getting so intense that it's beginning to show up in the form of persecution and the temptation that these believers are facing is is the return to Judaism in order to avoid persecution. And part of what is going on in their mind is maybe if just for a season we, we sort of go back into Judaism and we worship in the temple and we satisfy those that are telling us that we should abandon Christ, we can just return again to Christ after the persecution settles down and get back to being followers of Jesus. Along with that, another thing that's going on that's important to note is the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to this church. The Roman Empire is ramping up its intensity to squash some of the rebellion that's happening from the Jews who lived in Jerusalem. And so the author of this book is writing to this group of believers, and essentially the goal is to get them to not abandon their faith in Christ, to not forget the things that they have. In other words, he doesn't want them to drift away from the very one who has saved them. I don't know if you realize this, but the reality for us is this, that each one of us, as we go through life, is going to find ourselves in situations where we are going to be tempted to lose sight of all that we have in Christ and pursue something other, believing that maybe, just maybe, it will momentarily alleviate our pain. And when we get into that spot, we find ourselves in the danger of drifting. Well, before we talk about how to deal with drifting, if you're taking notes, I just want you to write this question down. It's the place that we have to start if we're really going to understand what it is that we need to get at as we study this passage. And that question is this, what are the circumstances unique to me that could cause me to drift? See, the reality is I don't know your situation. I know that probably nobody in this room is going to be tempted to drift because there's a group of Jewish men and women that will persecute you if you don't go back into Judaism. But I guarantee that there are some of you who have seen God do amazing things in your life and he has saved you from some things that you knew were not sufficient but there's gonna come a time where life gets difficult or you will face struggles and, and, and the danger will be that you will begin to lose sight of the sufficiency of Christ and move in a direction of anything else thinking that it will save you. The, the point of all that is this, that we begin to drift when we hit a circumstance or a situation or a life experience that causes us to assign more value to anything other than what we have in Christ. That's where this group of Jewish believers is at, and that's why they're getting this letter, because the author of this passage wants them to continue to be faithful. If you're with me, begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1, and just notice the very first three words that he uses. He writes to them in chapter 2, and he says this, for this reason. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we do in order to avoid drift in our life, and it's simple. It's remembering what we already know about Jesus. That's where the author of Hebrews starts with this group of believers. Remember the circumstances and the situation. They are being tempted and pressured to return to the place that they came from. In other words, abandon Christ, go back to worshiping God in the temple, go back to the sacrifices, go back to being in Jerusalem, go back to all of the things that you used to be a part of and forget Christ. 
Well, if you read through all of chapter one, the author starts by reminding them how awesome Jesus is because that is what they've forgotten. And so in chapter two, he looks at them or he writes to them and he says this, for this reason, well, for what reason? For this reason, Jesus is awesome. And you're in a situation in your life where you have simply forgotten how amazing he is. And because of that, you're thinking, now maybe I can go back to that which is less than what I already have. See, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, it's important that we make a commitment to remember the things that we know about Jesus because when the storms of life come, when the trials that we face begin to rise up, when we're, when we're in situations where we start to question whether or not we wanna continue to go through, it's the truth of who he is that becomes an anchor for us, but we do not do a good job of reminding ourselves of these things. Listen to what he says to this group of believers because he gives them the truth about who Jesus is in a way that helps them understand how to continue to pressing into him in their situation. He starts off in chapter one, verse one, and he says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. See, the first thing he's doing is he's saying, listen, that place that you're thinking about going back to, well, the Old Testament, the Levitical law, all of that stuff was moments where God, through the prophets, was revealing that eventually his son was going to show up. And now, as followers of Jesus Christ, what we know is that God has spoken to us in totality when Jesus showed up, God in the flesh, in our midst. In other words, the only thing that you need to know is that Jesus is the clearest spoken representation of who God is. And the stuff that you're going back to, that's just like a shadow that was pointing to him. And so if you guys think that going back to that is gonna be better than pressing into him, you have another thing coming. And so this Jesus that you're serving is the one who is, the, is giving you the clearest picture of who God is. The second thing that it reminds them of is what Jesus did. So not only did God show up, did Jesus show up as the representation of who God is, he goes on and he says that he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things with his power. And then he reminds them that, that he had made purifications from sin. And when he had done that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Again, what he's doing is he's saying, pay attention to what you're thinking about going to as opposed to where you are. Because not only was Jesus God showing up in our midst as the clearest picture of who God is, but he also dealt with sin. See, in the Old Testament, in the Old, in the old system, uh, the priest had to continue to go into the temple and offer sacrifices for sin, and he had to do it week after week, year after year, and it was never sufficient to cover sin. And now that you know Jesus, one of the things that you know about Jesus is that after he died on the cross and he rose again, he sat down at the right hand of God. And if you were a Jew that was hearing that, you would understand that that picture of Jesus sitting down means that as the high priest, his work was complete. There's no longer a need for him to go in and offer sacrifices again. And he's saying to this church, church, what you're abandoning is the very Jesus who has dealt with sin. He has saved you from the penalty of sin. He's saved you from the power of sin. He has delivered you from the very thing that the Jews have been looking for. And now because you're worried about some persecution, you want to abandon him and go back to the thing that you used to be a part of. 
The third thing he says to them is he reminds them that Jesus is greater than the angels because the Jews during this time also had a tendency to worship the angels as being more than they are. And so in, in chapter one, verse four, he explains to them that, that, that Jesus, when he came down, the Psalms declare this of him, that he is much better than the angels and, and he's inherited a more excellent name than them. And, and he reminds them that not only is he better than the angels, but the angels are ministering spirits and what are they doing? They're working on his behalf to bring people to him. And so what he's saying to these group of believers is you have forgotten the awesomeness of who Jesus is. And because you've lost sight of his awesomeness, you're thinking that it might be a good idea to go back where you came from. And that's going to lead you down a dead end. We forget, don't we? It's easy for us to forget what it is that we have in Jesus, right? Like when we first come to know him, there's that awesome fire. I mean, I love when you get around somebody who's a new believer and they just come to know who Jesus is and they understand that God is a God who loves them and he forgives sin and he has a plan for them and, and there's all these things he wants to do. And, and man, it is so encouraging when you see someone just surrender their life to Christ. And, and have you ever done that and been like, man, I, I, I wish I had that fire? Well the, well, the way you keep that fire is you you remind yourself of what you know about Jesus. In fact, most of the New Testament is, is the apostles writing to God's people and reminding them of who they are. There's a great example of this, 2 Peter chapter, two, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But Peter, in a very similar way, is writing to the church, and he wants to cause them to be established. He wants them to continue in their faith. He wants them to continue to pursue Jesus. Listen to what he says as he writes them. He says, therefore, I will always be ready to, what's that word? Remind you of these things. And then he says, even though you already know them and you've been established in the truth which is present with you, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir up by way of reminder. Why does he do that? Verse 15, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So Peter writes to the church in the same way that this author is writing to these Jewish believers and he's saying the reason that you're drifting is because you've forgotten how awesome Jesus is and if you want to keep from drifting, you have to make a decision to remind yourself the awesome things you know about Jesus. What are some of the things that you know about Jesus that you've forgotten? What are some of the things that when you gave your life to him, you were like, this is so amazing. I can't believe this is true. Whether it's the fact that God loves you or that he, he's a God who forgives or, or he's a God that calls you to have a purpose or, or he's a God who heals and restores the brokenness that's a result of sin. I mean, all of those things, when they're fresh before us, they fill us with an excitement about him. But over time, we begin to forget them and they begin to sort of, well, they take a back seat to the busyness of life. And then when the trials come, we, we forget to go back to those things. And so we have to learn the discipline of remembering what we already know, but that's not enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not just enough to remember because here's what he does. He starts off by saying in chapter two, for this reason, right? So he's saying for this reason, meaning the awesomeness of Jesus has to be before you. And when you remember the awesomeness of Jesus, you have to do something else. If you're taking notes along with remembering, write this down, we have to get serious about aligning our practice with our profession. 
feel like I should use big words so you think I'm smarter than I am. Practice and profession. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is, is, is that, that along with remembering the awesome things that we know about Jesus, if we're not going to drift, we also have to make the commitment that what I know to be true or what I profess to be true about him impacts the way that I live. In other words, it's not just enough to remember, but now I have to start ordering my life. You say, well, well, how do you know that's what he's saying to do? Well, look at what he says in the second half of verse one of chapter two. He says, for this reason, we must pay much closer attention. Underline that phrase, much closer attention. It's made up of two words. The first word is, is the word in the Greek, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's proseko. And, and it's actually a nautical term, and it means what you do to hold a ship in a direction or to sail towards it. What it means is to hold one's course towards a specific place. And so he's writing to this church, and he's saying, in light of how awesome Jesus is, what you now have to do is you now have to make the decision that you are going to start orienting your life in the direction of the truths that you know about him. And then he doesn't just leave it there, but he adds to it with this word, parasoteros. And I love what that means. It's an adjective of comparative degree. Instead of the more usual form, it means abundantly more, exceedingly more, much more, more frequently, and my favorite word, super abundantly. Do you think that if, if he uses an adjective to do something super abundantly, it's probably important. A little important or, or really important? It's probably really important because what he's saying to this church is when you remember the truth of who Jesus is and how awesome he is, if you want to keep from drifting, what you have to do is you have to start looking at those truths, remembering those truths, and then develop a super abundant commitment to order your life according to that and nothing else. See, one of the challenges that we face as we walk with the Lord when it comes to drifting is we get comfortable saying that we believe a lot of things and at the same time being okay with not experience or practicing them. Is that too convicting? Because it does happen. I mean, I know it happens in my life, right? right? Like Jesus comes and he's like, hey man, I have come that you could have life and you could have it abundantly. And we're like, yeah, Jesus is pretty awesome. I can't wait to get to heaven though because this life is miserable. Life is hard and then you die, right? And, and, and we, get, we get comfortable just sort of saying that we believe a lot of things about Jesus but, but, but not really experiencing them. And so when we're talking about making a commitment to get serious about allowing our practice to match our profession, or our experience to match our expectation. It means that we're paying attention to the gaps that we see in our life and recognizing that where there are gaps, there are opportunities for him to show himself to us in new and awesome ways. And instead of doing that, we just sort of get content to just sort of live through the muck of it all. And what we don't realize is that we're living in a world and we're living in a time and we're living in a life where there are a lot of forces that are trying intentionally to keep us from aligning with Jesus. Do you ever think about the things scripture talks about that are the forces that try to keep us from aligning with the truth that's in his word? 
There's three major things that scripture talks about that, that, are, that are the enemies of aligning ourselves with what we say to be true and what is true of Jesus. I wanna give these three to you so that you're aware of what they are. Here's the first one is the world. The world that we live in is filled with philosophies and thinking that are contrary to what's true as for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter two as he's writing the church and encouraging them to continue to walk with the Lord. He says this, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to, hear this, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. You say, well, how does that work practically? Well, well, it works like this. We live in a world that, generally speaking, doesn't take into account that there's a God. And so when they think about how to live and decisions to make and, and all of those things, they don't factor in that there's a God who loves us and a God that we will stand before. And so they are at the center of the universe. And when, when people are at the center of their universe, it affects the way that they make decisions. It affects the way that they think about life. And this is what we mean when we say that there, there's, there is a philosophy, there are philosophies in the world that, well, they're designed to keep us from aligning with him. I'll give you an example. What does the world say you have to do if you want to be great? I mean, you have to say it out loud, but just think about that. I mean, I mean, what's the world's recipe for greatness? It's, it's, it's man, do everything you can to get ahead, and, and, and you might have to step on a few people and, and, and win at all costs and, and give up everything to do it and, 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 and maybe compromise a little bit because if you do that and you get what you need to get, then, then you're on the right track. And, and if we're going to pursue greatness, we've got to look out for number one, right? Right, that's how the world sees greatness. What did Jesus say to do to be great? You have to serve. He said, if anyone among you wants to be great, you have to serve. And, and, and in God's kingdom and in God's economy, those that are great are the ones that lay down the lives of themselves for the sake of others to point people to him. And God said, those are the people who become great. The, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And, and, and I'm just telling you, we live in a world that is full of ideas and philosophies that are contrary to what we know to be true because of who Christ is and the truth that's in the word of God. And if we're not paying attention to the way the world is working to keep us from aligning with him, we will begin to drift. Apply that to your social media experience. I mean, I'm not totally out on social media, but think about what social media does is it just bombards us with more and more of the world's thinking. And if we're gonna keep from drifting, we have to be aware that this world is constantly putting into our minds philosophies that are counter to what Christ has called us to or how he's called us to live. The second thing, this one is really important. I think this one is probably the most important enemy of alignment with Christ, and it's the flesh, the Bible talks about it in the, in the New Testament. Paul specifically in chapters six through eight explains that believers are in a battle with their own flesh. In fact, in chapter seven, verses 21 through 23, he gives us a really clear picture of what this looks like. Most of us tend to think of spiritual warfare in terms of like the demonic realm, and, and, and I'm not saying that that isn't real, but I'm just telling you that more often than not, your biggest battle is gonna be with your own flesh. And Satan is certainly working through that. 
But I mean, no matter where you are, where you go, the flesh is a constant enemy of the things that the Spirit of God is calling you to. Listen to how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Listen to this, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner to the law of sin which is in my members. Paul goes on, to, goes on to explain that, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to understand this. The flesh is constantly bombarding your mind with ways of thinking that are contrary to who you are in Christ. Pastor Dan talked about this last week when he talked about the importance of renewing your mind. We've been born again spiritually. We're new creatures in Christ. But until the day that God fully redeems us and gives us that new body, we're awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You will battle with the flesh. And the flesh is the part of you that responds to circumstances in life in a way that doesn't take into account the truth that is in God's word. It's those moments when you get into difficulties and you start to worry about whether or not you can pay the bills. And you start playing over and over in your mind scenarios and situations and wondering how it's going to work out instead of just saying, Jesus has told me, do not worry about my life, what you will eat or what you will drink, for your heavenly Father knows you need these things. He loves you. He will take care of you. And if I'm not paying attention to the way the flesh is warring against my mind to draw me away from the truth that I have in Christ, I will begin to drift and move away from him. Number three, lastly, the devil. Obviously, there is a spiritual world that we battle in, and that world is constantly working against us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Hear me on this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, as you are called to pursue Christ with such passion that you align your life according to what's true. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly working against you to get you to draw away from him. And when you're not paying attention to that, you begin to drift. Not only do we have to remember what we know to be true of Christ, we have to hear what he instructs this church, pay much closer attention, be super abundantly committed to aligning your life according to what is true. So as I remember what I know to be true of Christ, I'm also gonna make the commitment that that's how I'm gonna make my decisions, that's how I'm gonna order my life, that's who I'm gonna trust to lead me and guide me and walk with me through the most difficult times in this life. And as I'm doing that, there's something else I'm gonna do. If you're taking notes, write this down. The third thing that he instructs this church in is this, take the danger of drifting seriously. Why does he say this? He says, listen, church, for this reason, we must be super abundantly committed to ordering our life according to the awesomeness of who Jesus is. Why? So that we do not drift from it. That word for drift means exactly what you think it means. It means to slowly float past a thing and get further away from it until you can't see it anymore. You know, the frustrating thing with drifting is you don't even really realize it's happening until it's too late, right? I mean, it would be really nice if it was like the, the, the danger was all of a sudden like announced with air horns and here it comes and you better look out or, or, or it's going to be a spiritual disaster if I make these decisions, but that's not how it happens. 
It happens slowly over time. I remember last Christmas, we got our kids surfboards. And so uh, we decided, hey, the next morning, we're gonna go out, we're gonna go surfing. And so we did, my two boys and my daughter, we got our surfboards, we went surfing. My wife stays home because she doesn't like the water. And so we just, she likes the beach, not the water, but she's like, you guys go, so we did. And it just happened to be a pretty big day. And I say pretty big, not for people who actually surf a lot, but pretty big for people who don't surf a lot. So primarily, I was concerned about my daughter. My boys are fine, they surf all the time. I've surfed enough that I don't have to worry about it, but... But, but she was relatively new. And I was actually impressed that she made it out. We had paddled out and the waves were big enough that I thought she probably would have turned around and gone back, but she didn't. I mean, she got out there and I was like, man, that's awesome, man. She got way out here. And, and then as we're out there, I'm like, how's she gonna get back in? Because she doesn't know how to surf. And so we're out there for a little bit and we're kind of watching and the boys are having a good time and I'm kind of watching her and and after we'd been out there for a little bit, wouldn't you know it, we had all of a sudden drifted. And unfortunately, when we started, we were north of the rocks and the current was taking us south and, and as I was looking back at the beach, I realized we were literally right in front of the rocks at Coral Cove. And like any good dad, I panicked and gave her advice I shouldn't have given her. Right, because that's what you do when you panic. And I was like, honey, we gotta hurry up and fix the problem. You just gotta paddle in on this next wave and steer yourself over to the sand and I think we'll be okay. And, and she did and I was like, that's not working because now she's going straight for the rocks. And so I take the next wave, right? So now I'm in and so here we are on this supposed to be awesome Christmas morning celebration of surfing and, and next thing I know, I am grabbing my daughter who's about to be pounded on the rocks. I've got my arms around her waist. I've got my feet on the rocks. I'm literally pushing off the rocks as the waves are coming in going, oh my goodness, we're, we are gonna drown. And we finally, by God's grace, climbed up onto the sand. I had managed to get the boards out and for us to get out. And, 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 and she was obviously, I mean, if you have a teenage daughter, guys, you know, she was already frustrated, but now she's super frustrated. She didn't even want to talk to me. I was like, that was fun. She's like. So we go home and, and we get home and my wife's like, how was surfing? She's like, dad tried to kill me. And I was like, I saved you. It was an awesome day. It's all about perspective, right? <clears throat> the point of all that is when we drift, right? You don't know that you're in a bad spot until it's too late. And, and that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get this church to remember, that you're in a situation where you're tempted to believe there's a direction you can go that will momentarily alleviate the pain. But the reality is what you're doing is you're drifting away from the very thing that God has provided for you in this life to get you through it. And so you have to remember who Jesus is. Not only do you have to remember him, but you have to make the commitment that you're going to orient your life according to him. And if you do that, then you won't drift. But the challenge that we face is we don't realize that we're drifting. Can I give you a few markers you can use to help you recognize those seasons when you're drifting? Good, write these down. Number one, sometimes it's helpful to look at your comfort with compromise. Now, when I say your comfort with compromise, I don't, I don't mean live a more legalistic, rules-driven life of following Jesus, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, I'm not talking about become more fundamentalist and no compromise and I'm gonna... What I'm talking about is what are the things that you saw God change about you when you gave your life to him? 
maybe your understanding of God's grace for you hit you in such a way that it changed the way that you looked at other people. Maybe there were, there were things people did or struggles that they had that you used to look on with a sense of judgment and you saw yourself as better. But when you got to this place where you realized that, that God loved you and he forgave you and he delivered you from the things that were holding you, you started to look at other people with a sense of compassion. In other words, you saw them with his heart and you recognized them as people that you wanted to introduce to Jesus. And that became the way that you lived your life. But over time, as you started to grow a little, maybe you forgot some of the awesome things that you knew about Jesus, some of that compassion, some of that grace for them that, 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 that used to have it, it started to get compromised and you started looking at people a little bit more with judgment, a little less patience for people, a little more annoyance. And see, if, if you've become comfortable compromising things that God has established in you, chances are you're drifting. Number two, how about your passion for Jesus? When I say passion for Jesus, I don't, I don't mean like your, your passion to go to work for him. I mean your, your passion for him. Because one of the awesome things that God has done is open the door for us to have a relationship with him. And I'm just telling you, as much as you know about him right now, you will spend a lifetime pursuing him and you are still gonna learn more. I mean, that's the awesome thing about following him is, is he reveals himself to us and we understand things about him. But, but, but the entire purpose of my life is to know him. Think about what Paul said as he wrote to the church, to the Philippian church, he said, he said I consider all things lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, I consider it all rubbish. All of the things in this life, the stuff that I might do, it's a, it's, he literally says it's a, a pile of dung. And he says, I wanna, I wanna know him and I wanna know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. How's your passion? Because if you lose that, it's because you start to drift. You lose sight of how awesome he is. And he wants us to keep that before him so that we continue to press into him so that we would know him. Number three, and lastly, how's your commitment to mission? When I say your commitment to mission, what I mean by that is when you gave your life to Christ, what were the things that he showed you he wanted to do through you? What were the gifts that he gave to you? Who were the people that he gave you a heart for? Who are the ones that he's placed you among so that you could be the one person that would be a representation of who he is and how much he loves them? See, when you keep those things before you, that's the passion that we have for mission, that, that, that Jesus has called me not only to follow him, but he's called me to make disciples and, and, and to go after people because God loves people. And although he doesn't need me to do anything for him, he gives me a purpose in his mission and a place to be used. And it's a privilege to be a part of that mission. And, and as long as I have a commitment to that mission, it's probably because I'm focused and fixed on him. But as I lose sight of the commitment that I have to mission, it's probably because I'm drifting. So these are markers for us. There are ways that we gauge whether or not we're drifting when we wouldn't otherwise see it. If we've grown comfortable with compromise, if we've lost a passion for knowing him more deeply, if we've, if we've sort of forgotten our commitment to the mission that he's called us to, the chances are we're beginning to drift and that is putting us in a dangerous place. 
And the author of Hebrews is reminding this church to continue to focus on him. And then in verse two through four, listen to what he says. He says, for if the word spoken through the angels proved unalterable, meaning this old covenant, the Old Testament, the Levitical serving of the Lord, if you're going back to that, if that proved to be unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, meaning that under the law, all it did was show people that they were going to be judged as guilty, how are you going to escape if you neglect so great a salvation that you have in Jesus? Meaning, if in the old covenant, God was clear about what his, the standards were and, and what our problem was with sin, and that that was not going to be changed, but it was pointing us to Christ, how are we going to escape if we neglect this salvation that we have in Jesus? The chances are that word for escaping is not a reference to their personal salvation, but it's a reference for their thinking that they're going to escape the difficulties of this life by going in a different direction when the reality is they're just putting themselves in a worse spot. In other words, he's saying to them, in Jesus, you have the only salvation that you need. And the solution to your problem is not to leave it because you're not going to escape trouble. What you need to do is continue to press into him. And then he begins to remind them again of what it is that they have. Don't neglect this salvation. After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. He's speaking now to probably the second generation of the church. He says, we've heard about the works God did when he established the church. God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. What he's saying to this church is he's saying, don't forget what you've experienced in him. You know the way that God established the church, the way he poured his spirit out on his people, the way that he did all these things. Don't think that the answer to your problem is now by neglecting the very salvation that he's provided for you. The point of that is this, if we're gonna keep from drifting, we have to learn to live life expecting to see God's faithfulness. You know what's awesome about the Lord? He wants to make himself known to us. His desire is to reveal himself to us. In fact, that's one of the great privileges that we have of being followers of Jesus is that as we open up his word, as we spend time pursuing him, as we live out our lives trusting him at his word, we begin to see God manifest himself in ways that we never would have gotten to see had we not surrendered to him. And he reminds this group of believers, you serve a God who is eager to reveal himself. I think of how many passages in scripture references the, the eyes of the Lord move to and thro throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are wholeheartedly his that he might show himself strong on their behalf. I don't know if you know this, but God is looking for people that are living with a sense of expectation so that he can prove himself to be faithful. And that's what the author of Hebrews is reminding this group of believers. Our biggest challenge is not that God isn't faithful, but that we don't spend enough time passionately pursuing him with a belief that he will show up. And I'm just telling you, the more that you live with a sense of expectation, the more you see him show up, because that's what faith does. And the more you see him show up, get this, the more you live with expectation. It's awesome. And when you do that, you keep from drifting. So question for you as we wrap up. Have you drifted at all?
Are you in a situation or a circumstance in your life where you've been tempted to believe that there's a direction to go other than pressing into Jesus that is the solution? Can I just encourage you to take some time first and foremost to remember how awesome he is, specifically, the ways that he's shown himself to you, the things that you know about him now, and as you remember those things, start to order your life in a way that you make him the direction that you head. Recognize that there is a huge danger in drifting and start living with a sense of expectation that God will prove himself to be faithful. And then you will not drift. Can I pray for you? Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. I love when we open up your word and as we do it by your spirit, you begin to point out the areas in our life where Lord, we just desperately needed to hear this. Lord, we know that in this world we'll have trouble. In fact, you promised us that this world would have trouble, but you also told us that we should take heart because you have overcome the world. And Father, I wanna pray for those that are in this room this morning that have maybe started to drift because the difficulties of life or the trials that they're facing or the struggles that they, they just wish would be over it has brought them to a place where they have forgotten how awesome you are. And rather than pressing into you and ordering their life according to what they know to be true of you, they've started to think that maybe if they do this or that, they can alleviate the trouble. And Lord, I pray that they wouldn't drift. I pray that they would recognize in the midst of this season, there is more for them to learn about you. There are ways you want to reveal yourself to them. There are things that you want to do in their life. And I ask that they wouldn't drift. Father, help us to continue to press into you, believing that you are going to do great things in us and through us. We love you. We thank you for this time. We ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.